Hello everyone, I am Marcibel and this is the Marcibel Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. This is the Marcibel Podcast, a podcast about culture and cultural nomads designed for Blacks and Asians and those who love them. I'm your host, Monsibo, Nigerian-born, U.S. educated, Korean-speaking, wandering intellectual. Today, I have a rare privilege to have um, a professional on the show, and I cannot wait to explore some of the topics that um, we'll be talking about today. But first, let me do a quick introduction of him. His name is Dr. Mota Castillo. He's um, an adolescent and child psychiatrist currently working at the Forest Hills location of community health centers in Florida. He obtained his medical degree from the Universidad Autonoma de Santo Domingo and trained in psychiatry at the Massachusetts Mental Health Center in Boston and Maricopa Medical Center in Phoenix and also did a fellowship in pediatric psychiatry at the New York Medical Center College in NYC, New York City. For the past 28 years, he has served people of all ages in Florida, New Mexico, and Arizona. And until last year, he was the chairman of psychiatric and director of um, psychiatric training at a medical school in New Mexico and has been affiliated with the UCF's medical school since 2006. He has published multiple psychiatric articles and three books on the need for improving diagnostic accuracy in children. Before entering the field of psychiatry, he had a career in radio and television in his native country, Dominican Republic. He also served as chief of staff of the Dominican vice president from 1978 to 1980. Does everyone join me welcoming Dr. Mota to the show? Hello, Dr. Mota. Hello. Wow. You? You, you, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm just in awe of your accomplishments and, you know, just what you do. And I met him through my husband, by the way. So um, he, um, Dr. Mota used to work where my husband used to work in New Mexico. And I had met him once, went for a dinner. I think that was when you were leaving. We went for like a dinner with your wife and Diana and, you know, and then got to really talk to you and get to know you more. But um, I'm really glad to have you on the show today. So um, I know you just also launched a new book on ADHD. Correct, yes. Uh, I, it took me about, I think, three hours to put it together, to kind of you know, read through it. But I can't imagine how much, you know, hours, man hours it took you to put together because it's a book that is rich in love, you know, not just personal anecdotes, but even your clinical en- encounters and a lot of, you know, quotes and, case studies of you know children now can you just tell us a little bit about your practice before we go into the book itself my practice yes sir uh, at this moment i am uh, seeing uh, i will say um, 60% of adults 40% of children um, in an outpatient setting okay. um, and it's Mostly um, evaluation and treatment of the most common uh, psychological issues such as uh, anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, ADHD, uh, bipolar, Mm. um, social phobia, social anxiety, these type of things. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Now, I think one of, there's so many things I took from your notes, from your book, and I'm just going to start with it. But before we get into that, I want to just maybe provide like a definition for ADHD, which is an attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And um, I mean, as a pharmacist, I have a foundation knowledge of that. 
And I know there's the there's the attention deficit part, and there's also the you know hyperactive. But I just wanted to hear from you as a professional. What, how would you define ADHD? Well, ADHD um, is when the person does not have any reason for not being inattentive mm. or for being hyperactive. Mm. Uh, this is not exactly what the DSM-5 say. Um, by the way, I despise DSM-5 <laughs> um, because I think that is more uh, of an academic exercise than really uh, a guideline for mm-hmm. diagnosis. Mm. Uh, it, 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 it is like a person who doesn't know how to cook, opening uh, a cookbook and trying to follow the instruction but has no idea what to do. Wow. And, and that's why I so much misdiagnosed. So if you read the um, DSM-5, it will tell you, uh, it will give you a list of 14 uh, diagnostic criteria. And at the very end, uh, exclusion criteria when you Mm. can diagnose ADHD. Mm. And I usually say uh, to some of my patients, well, the problem is that this is the part that most doctors don't read. Mm. The part that say you cannot diagnose this condition on these exclusions Mm. if there is a diagnosis of psychosis, a mood disorder, Mm. anxiety, uh, or on below average IQ. And and this is why I gave you a very different uh, definition. Yeah. Because ADHD is a diagnosis of exclusion Hmm. instead of what most people do, uh, which is a diagnosis of inclusion. Inclusion. So they see somebody who can't pay attention, who is distracted, who is restless, and they say, oh, that's ADHD. They don't look at the other part. Oh, that part of it, yeah. Yes. Uh, For example, one common, very common, and uh, one that was one of the reasons why I don't like DSM-5 is um, autism. Okay. Up to uh, DSM-4, clinicians were not allowed to diagnose ADHD if the person has autism. Okay. For reason that I don't know, at least any uh, in, uh, scientific reason, um, now DSM-5 allow the diagnosis of Autism. ADHD in people with autism, mm. which, as you know, can't pay attention, hmm. or I, or they are hyper concentrated on something. Yeah, already. And they, they cannot pay attention to anything else. Mm-hmm. But they still keep the restriction on um, the low IQ, but people are giving out. Um, Adderall and Vyvanse and Ritalin, like they are candies, completely yeah. harmless. 
Yeah. And when I tell parents and patients, well, there is evidence that methylphenidate, uh, which comes as Ritalin or Concerta mm-hmm. or Concerta Focaline, Vibes, 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 yeah. Exactly. Focaline, mm-hmm. are, has a similar effect in the brain as cocaine. As cocaine, yeah. <laughs> they say, what? <laughs> and then uh, that uh, Vibans and Adderall are like crystal meth. Say, what? <laughs> I never told, told me that. I said, well, that's the reality. There's stimulants. Uh, it's <laughs> not that you are getting high because if you have ADHD, don't, you don't get high. You don't get Even high. If you use the actual cocaine, you don't get high. Yeah. But you have to be aware that there are side effects. So no, nobody say remove ibuprofen from the market because it can give you Kidney failure. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. So you just need to know that that could happen. Yeah. And if you have a peptic ulcer, don't take ibuprofen or don't take aspirin. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that doctors need to talk more to patients and discuss side effects. I agree too. And I think even even let's talk let's talk about a little bit of the epidemiology of it. So I know that um from the last statistic, which was like 2010 or 2012, that 10% of school age children are using ADHD meds, so like 1 in 10. And it's ADHD is a chronic disease because up to 80% of children will continue to have those symptoms until adolescence and 65% until adulthood. And while as you grow older, the HD, the hyperactivity disorder might um, decrease, but the... Um, attention deficits might just, you know, be the same. So I just wanted to know, um, so you've talked about the misdiagnosis. You talk a lot about the misdiagnosis and even overdiagnosis on your, uh, in your book. Um, why do you think there's such an overdiagnosis um, of ADHD and um, inappropriate use of stimulants, especially in children? Well, there is an overdiagnosis because they are not following the guidelines. As we say at the beginning, this is a diagnosis of exclusion. Non-inclusion. No inclusion, as you just say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then doctors are, ju- are jumping to make, and, and many times doctors don't even make a diagnosis. It's a teacher. It's a teacher, yeah. Or a school counselor mm-hmm. who say, um, this boy looks the same as one that I know that has ADHD. In, in medicine, that's a capital thing. No other specialty allow non-physician, non-trained uh, 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 in, in the psychological uh, field to make psychiatric diagnosis. Yeah, that's true. Psychiatry is a branch of medicine. And I understand that a psychologist could make a diagnosis of uh, ADHD, but following the guidelines uh, mm-hmm. and keeping in mind that a person could be inattentive because he's having flashback from PTSD. For, or, or mood disorders. Or mood disorder. Mm-hmm. Or I had seen cases in which, in which they were hearing voices talking Schizophrenia, to them. maybe, psychosis. Mm-hmm. And then you give them a medication that one of the side effects is causing psychotic symptoms. <sighs> and and I I had two cases when I was practicing in Arizona of girls having flashback of rape 
and they were wow. diagnosed ADHD because they were uh, being attentive. Because, yeah, they, yeah, having flashbacks. So I think that the overdiagnosis comes from full diagnosis, from not taking the time to ask uh, the history. Yes, and also for uh, undervaluing the importance of genetic. That's so true. And I think you talked about that a lot in your book. Like, you know, um, some like some psychosis can be hereditary in a way. And not knowing, you know, like family history of some of the medical conditions and mental health illness yeah. can put the patient into trouble because you're not getting the whole picture. And you're isolating this child, not knowing that their DNA could be contributing to what's going on with them. Exactly. I use uh, a very uh, simple uh, metaphor. Uh, or example with my patient, I, sh- I show my hand and say, listen, my mother was a white woman. And look at my hand. Why do you think I have this color? <laughs> Your dad was probably... You don't need to be a doctor <laughs> to imagine why I am not white. <laughs> you know? So that helped to bring some uh, fle- uh, uh, or, relaxation yeah, in yeah, the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and and I and then I tell you the same way that we inherited the skin color, the color of the hair, personalities, uh, mm-hmm. the size of mm-hmm. how tall we are, and, and so and so. Uh, the, the brain is another organ of the body. Yeah. So and conditions like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, are so inheritable. That when I get a person with OCD, I don't even ask if somebody had OCD. I just say, who in your family has OCD? <laughs> <laughs> and you That's a way answer, to go. Oh, that will be my mother. Oh, that will be my father. <laughs> you know, uh, with bipolar is not that strong. Uh, but I would say more than 40% chances in my experience of yeah. many years having seen thousands and thousands of patients, yeah. there is always a history of, well, nobody has been diagnosed, but my mother was very moody. My father was very uh, aggressive. That's why yeah. they divorced. And mm. he was alcoholic. Well, one know. of the oldest medication on earth is alcohol. Yeah. People self-medicate. Mm-hmm. So I always tell doctors and uh, clinicians in general, when you see somebody who is alcoholic, think of possible self-medication. Mm. There are people who drink just because they like it, you see, mm. and get drunk because they don't care about the consequences, but th- those are not the majority. Many people use alcohol just to sleep because they have a racing mind Mm-hmm. That will not stop thinking. And it's mm. 3 a.m. and they can't shut it off. Mm. So it, it really doesn't take that much. It's just using uh, common sense to make a good diagnosis. That's and true. if you think, you know, uh, and you have a husband who is a very good doctor. Thank you. <laughs> I'll let him know. <laughs> <laughs> that in medicine, it's so important if your mother was hypertensive or had diabetes or heart disease. They ask all those questions. Family history, yeah. 
Yeah, but then in psychiatry, it's like, okay, <laughs> let, let me give you an example. Uh, um, I treated a patient who was the son of two of the Marielitos. The, those were the people who came through the Mariel uh, port in Miami mm-hmm. when Fidel Castro opened Cuba, Cuba to anyone who wanted to come to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fidel was a very smart guy and uh, Jimmy Carter, very nice guy, but very naive. So underestimate Fidel and Fidel emptied the uh, psychiatric hospitals, the, <laughs> the prisons, wow. rounded up all the prostitutes on the street and sent all of those people to the United States. What? I'm just hearing this for the first time. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was a long time ago. Wow. Uh, Carter was the president. Jimmy Carter, <laughs> so, yeah. So this was 1980-something, right? It, and and one of those wow. Marielitos was the character of a Scarface with Al Pacino. Ah. Yes. Mm. So they put all those people on the, on the highway in a tent. And you oh, remember geez. that movie. Yeah. So those are the Marielitos. Those people, two of those people were from a psychiatric hospital, a schizophrenic. Hmm. So a church pick up them, they got married on road to the United States. They fake it being married because one of the rules to for the uh, church to uh, receive somebody is has to be a family. Yeah. So they became a family. Hmm. They were crazy but not stupid. <laughs> so uh, they got married on, on the boat. And when they arrived, they were taken to New York City. And soon after that, without medication, they, you know, showed their true color. Mm-hmm. And they ended up in the uh, psychiatric state hospital. Mm-hmm. But at that time, the woman already was pregnant. So that boy was born in a psychiatric hospital in New York. Wow. He was given for adoption to mm-hmm. a very nice Puerto Rican lady. And at the age of three and a half, he was tearing off the house apart. Huh. He was taken to a teaching hospital in New York City. Mm-hmm. The doctor assumed that the lady was the mother. Didn't ask more questions. Assumed she was the biological mother. Mother for mm. so the boy is Hispanic, she's Puerto Rican. So Just assumed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> and started the boy on Ritalin. From on Ritalin? Time, wow. On Ritalin. So from that time <clears throat> until the age of 11, when I saw him for the first time, he had been hearing voices, being very aggressive, impossible to manage. And when I got this story, I say, oh, my God. And the first things I asked was about the voices. He said, yes, I hear like three or four. Wow. And it took me from the age of 11 until 19 when I finally put him on Closaril, which is the, you know, the big yeah. uh, gun of antipsychotic mm-hmm. to be able to stop the voices for six years. At one point, I had him on maximum dose of two antipsychotics which wow. is not recommended. 
but I was, you know, desperate to get the boy well. Very nice person. And, and it, it took uh, Closaril to be able to uh, stop it. And simply because this doctor didn't ask the right for his family history. Yeah, he was yeah. the son of two schizophrenics and was diagnosed with ADHD. ADHD. Now, it's also malpractice because if you read the guideline from the yeah. APA, being aggressive and destructive is not ADHD. a diagnostic criteria yeah. for ADHD. Yeah, yeah. And you have no idea how many angry boys who tell bad names to the teacher and throw a chair across the room are diagnosed ADHD. Some of them could be oppositional um, defiant disorder or even some you know, psychotic, psychotic behaviors. But I feel like ADHD, like you rightly said, is just that low-hanging fruit that people can just use as a way to label and yeah. you know, um, over-medicate these kids. And I'm glad that you say oppositional defiant this, uh, behavior because as you read, I call it the evil triad. Evil triad, yeah. <laughs> ADHD, um, um, conduct disorder, and then oppositional defiant disorder. Exactly. I call yeah. it the evil triad because <laughs> the, fir- the, the boy is first diagnosed with ADHD. They give them an amphetamine that make the person worse. Then they call it oppositional defiant. When the uh, boy finally punches the punch the teacher in the face, they call it conduct disorder. Yeah. And which is the equivalent of um, antisocial, antisocial behaviors yeah. in a child. Yeah. So it's all injustice because this is a doctor created, basically, iatrogenic uh, situation, hmm. uh, misdiagnosed in the first place, you know. Yeah. And I began to see these cases and to open my eyes in 1996 when I was the first psychiatrist for a new uh, unit that was opening in Arizona, in Phoenix, um, a 32-bed unit called Encanto. Yeah, I uh, mentioned that a lot in your book. Yeah, I remember yes. that. Yeah. Yes. And when I started to see those very huge files, of an adolescent who has seen 16 psychiatrists and they just keep adding diagnosis and medications. <laughs> yes, and they finally end up in the kid jail, you know, the juvenile system. The juvenile detention, yeah. Exactly. So, and most of them, I will say more than 90%, didn't have the diagnosis that they came with. So, I remember seeing only one person during the two and a half years I was there who was clearly uh, a person with ADHD? Uh, deviant behavior, who was bad and oh, committed so. crime because, well, was bad. he was going to be a sociopath. Hmm. Just only one. Only one person. One person out of hundreds. Wow. And the rest were just, you know... Misdiagnosed. Oh, jeez. And I have in my possession letters from those parents, from some of those children. You know, one of them, um, 
sent me a letter when he was home saying, I'm so glad that I was arrested and taken to Encanto. Why not? Because you changed my life. Oh, wow. You know, he was being bombarded with those amphetamines when he was in a manic state. It was a bipolar. Bipolar, yeah. yeah. And there was another one who was schizophrenic. One day I saw him uh, throwing uh, food on the floor and I say, what happened? And he said, you don't see? I'm feeding my chicken tortoise. <laughs> so it was uh, a visual hallucination. Schizophrenic it maybe? Was an animal that was half chicken, half turkey. <laughs> and he was pointing to me where they were. And he <laughs> he had been taking amphetamines for years. He was like 16 and a half, and he had to be there until 18. Um, he improved a lot. He became one of the most lovable people that you will know. Most of the staff cried when he left. Wow. He, uh, I, I call him later, months later, and I say, I'm not going to say his name, but I say, um, what about the voices? And he say, oh, well, I hear them sometimes, but I don't pay attention. Oh, wow. Wow. You know? Um, I think another thing that I, I, I want to talk about from your book was, thanks for sharing all of that, by the way. And so um, there's some standard guidelines for diagnosing um, ADHD. Like, you know, the symptoms must have been present for at least six months before the age of 12, and it should be in more than two settings. And there's something you mentioned that, you know, I do work with lupus patients, and one of the biggest issues we're having now is to be able to adequately train primary care physicians to be able to recognize the signs of symptoms of lupus so that patients can be easily diagnosed. Because by the time they're diagnosed, a lot of, you know, the lupus could have attacked, you know, their kidneys and, you know, a lot of damages could have been done. So just attack, um, tra- training PCBs to be able to recognize signs of lupus. And I think you mentioned that in your book as well regarding ADHD. So you had said, I think, about 60% of psych services in the U- U.S. are provided by primary care physicians. And That's correct. 60% of patients who sought, you know, um, help for their mood problems from their primary care physicians received the wrong diagnosis. So I was just curious to know, um, is there currently something the body of medicine, like your regulatory bodies are doing to equip primary care physicians? I mean, it's good that we have those gatekeepers, but if they're not adequately trained to understand, you know, um, how to properly diagnose mental health issues, that could put put in a a strain, not just on the, you know, um, economy as well, but also think about the humanistic and the clinical burden on these patients and their families. Yes. I can tell you that if I was, um, if I were a, uh, a family physician or a pediatrician, I would refuse to treat um, Any, uh, children with uh, psychological problems mm-hmm. because the training that a family doctor or an internist of a pediatrician received in psychiatry is about a month. Oh, wow. I know that from experience. My first uh, year uh, of training was in pediatrics. 
Mm. So and I had one month of training in psychiatry. So, um, and that's how it is uh, uh, still everywhere. So how can a person learn about psychiatry in a month and know all the things that the psychiatry learned in three years of training plus two years of child psychiatry? Hmm. So uh, that's a big problem. And, and, you know, we had spent so much time talking about the political situation, the economic situation, the climate, but the most important asset is the brain, and nobody talk about that. Mm. You see, uh, actually, let me give you an example. Yesterday, I um, um, loaded uh, a, um, um, a video on YouTube mm-hmm. talking about suicide and veterans. Okay. Be- yes, uh, because um, 20 or 22 uh, veterans commit suicide every day. But it doesn't make the news because one is in Montana, the other is in New York, the other is in Florida, and it's not like, you know, oh, somebody killed 16 people. That's I know, right, yeah. But because they are in different places, well, well another veteran committed suicide. Hmm. And the VA continued to give antidepressants to everybody who has PTSD. And they don't check if the person also has bipolar or are a first degree relative of somebody with bipolar. And the FDA warned about giving antidepressant to a person who is a first degree relative of somebody with bipolar. Because it worsens bipolar. Because in many parts, you know, not treated very well, yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. they get worse. Yeah. See, and this is another very huge subject because people talk about bipolar and they think of that crazy guy who is walking on the street. No, they do well with mania. It's a depression that they don't like. Exactly. So uh, the the right term is bipolar spectrum disorder because it's a spectrum from mild to severe. You know, and there are many, many high-functioning people many famous people. We can talk of Winston Churchill, you know, uh, Charles Dickens, Van Gogh, Dali, Picasso, you know, uh, many famous artists in the United States and other places come publicly and say, I'm bipolar, you know, but there are also the severe cases. And when people think of the word bipolar, they just remember the crazy person, quote-unquote crazy person in the street who is homeless. And that's the problem with the veterans that, okay, have PTSD, have come from Iraq or Afghanistan, mm-hmm. give it soul off. Mm-hmm. But they, don't, they don't go deep. You know, they, they, they are so crowded with patients. They have 15 minutes to see somebody that they don't investigate enough and so end up giving an antidepressant to somebody who is going to get worse on that. On antidepressants, yeah. I'm not saying that everybody with PTSD has bipolar spectrum, but they should separate those who have it yeah. and forget about the antidepressant. 
because it could have been better if they were just left to themselves. But adding antidepressants, you know, onto their regimen, whatever they're already taking, exactly. and if they already have, you know, questionable bipolar, it's just going to make it worse. Exactly. And, and for example, if we go back to the, the story of lithium that regenerate brain cells, yeah. if this person, besides uh, bipolar uh, PTSD also had traumatic brain injury. Mm, that can even yeah. give it lithium. Give that person lithium. It's going to regenerate brain cells. Not tomorrow. Not next week or next. But month. at least long term use, yeah. But, and it's probably one of the safest out there, except if you're pregnant or something. Lithium has one of the safest, you know, side effect profiles than all these, you know, other medications they use. Yes, lithium has side effects, but usually with a very long-term use. Mm-hmm. You can have problems with your thyroid, the renal problem, your kidney, yeah. mm-hmm. if it's you dissolved, use it for yeah. 10, 15 years. Thank you for that. I think, um, and I really recommend your book to those that want to, you know, learn more because Dr. Mota gave a good, you know, he described ADHD a lot, gave a lot of examples. You see some pictures, some drawings from some of his patients. And some stories, some will make you laugh, some will make you, you know, cry. But he gave reasons for, for example, for hyperactivity in children. You know, some comorbidities, it could be a problem with their thyroid or malnutrition. They could have obsessions, they could have low IQ, they could have Tourette's seizures as well. And um, I think another thing that I wanted to mention was how you talked about using um, stimulants to auto-diagnose. And I think it's very key because we know that when you give stimulants to those that have real ADHD, they will benefit from it. So there's this, um, those effects response where you give a little bit, it helps because basically what the stimulant does is it prevents the reuptake of dopamine and no adrenaline and it makes the child focus. And, but yes. if they don't have ADHD, it's not going to work. And then what we do, which is really bad is we up the dose and, and we go down that rabbit hole. And I feel like if a lot of physicians and healthcare prof- professionals can keen to that, like a child that is not responding to stimulants, Find out more what could be going on. It's not just enough to up the dose. If they're not benefiting from just the low dose you're putting them on, then it's probably the wrong diagnosis. Exactly. Yeah. I, oh, you, you just say so beautiful, beautifully, um, because that's that's exactly the problem. For example, if you are a gastroenterologist and you give a medication for uh, heartburn, and the patient come and say, "Doctor, I had more than before." Are you going to increase the dose? Uh-huh. Are you going to see if this if the patient needs another medication? Because one thing is saying, well, I feel a little bit better, but I think that I need more. But when the patient say, I feel worse, it clearly say the medication is not helping. Uh-huh. So if Johnny was making gestures to the teacher, and now he took a baseball bat and hit the teacher after he is on the medication. The medication is not helping. It's making, it's making him it worse. worse. Yeah. How can you increase the medication? <laughs> it's, it's terrible. I think psychiatry is, is difficult because as, as a, you know, if you did like, you know, if you were an endocrinologist or, um, uh, cardiologist, there are some indices you can use to see if the patient is responding to the medications. So with diabetes, you can use, you know, the hemoglobin M1C and cardiology, you can look at the blood pressure. But we, with um, mental health issues, like what you go with is observation and, you know, what the people around the child or the adult tells you. So I can imagine well, how difficult that might be too as a science to 
really get to the root of some of these issues? You, you are right. There, there are no uh, tangible uh, indicators, uh, uh, indices, uh, yeah. features that you can say, uh, but there are some clues. For example, Johnny was being aggressive, disrespectful, and not sleeping. But now he's sleeping. Mm. And he's telling you, now I'm able to turn off my brain. Mm. And, and some people will say, how a five-year-old can know that? Well, I use drawing. And I say, okay, you see this one here is a brain that is going slow. This one is going medium and this one is going really fast. Wow. Which one is yours? Well, he will say one of them. You know, and then when he come back, I say, Johnny, you told me that this was your brain. Which one is your brain now? Wow. And and then he will point out to the one that is going slower. slower. Mm-hmm. And the mother will say, well, he was staying up to midnight. Now he goes to sleep at 10 o'clock. That is effective use of patient reported outcomes right there. Exactly. Because so, you can get from the mom, the proxy, and then also from the child. Exactly. So he is still being aggressive. He is still telling mother what to do. He wants to be the boss in the classroom, but he's getting better. Mm. And, and, and there is one part that people can get from uh, the psychiatric treatment, even doctors, some doctors, uh, and is that medication in psychiatry don't work like a Tylenol. Takes about six to eight weeks, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, psychotropic medication induce genetic changes in the brain receptors. Hmm. And that creates one confusion for patients. Oh, doctor, um, I don't think I need this medication. I have been taking it for a year. I had to confess that I had not taken it for one month. And I feel the same. Of course you feel the same. Mm. Because that medication induced genetic changes in the configuration of your neuroreceptors. Mm. So it's not going to change overnight. Or it could be that the medication is very long acting. So, and that is something that confuses some people. Yeah, and I think that's where um, healthcare providers can also um, counsel and educate the patients and the families that if they have the right diagnosis, like let them let these p- patients keep taking their medications because they might not be able to see the beneficial, you know, or incremental effect of medications until up, up, up until eight weeks. You know, and I like your example of Tylenol. Like if you have a headache, you use Tylenol or Advil or whatever, you you can get that, you know, relief within an hour. But sometimes we expect, you know, antipsychotics to work that way, but they don't work that way. Sometimes it, no, it takes like no months or even weeks to get a result. Yeah, and you can feel some small improvement right away with certain medication. Like sedation maybe? Uh, Yeah, Um, but for example, uh, you don't know how fast your mind is going if you're going normal, like your heart. You don't know how your heart is going because it doesn't bother you. Yeah. But if you run three times around the block, now you know how your heart is going. Sure. It's going fast. Mm-hmm. And it, it bothers you. The same with the racing thoughts. If, you, if they are not going fast, you don't know. And then 
you can feel this slowing down. But the problem is that in three or four hours, that effect is gone. So it will take a few weeks for that effect to be permanent. I see. You know, but that's one of the very few psychiatric medications that work right away. Thank you for that. There's some things you said in your book that I wanted to just use as a shout out. Um, I think you captured that difference well. Like a child with ADHD cannot be quiet, but one with bipolar disorder does not want to be quiet. Because their hyperactivity only disturbs those around them. They get high off off of it. They love that part of it. Because a lot of them use it to create stuff and, you know, they get high. But then the danger is if they are shopping too much or, you know, engaging in sexual um, activities that might be dangerous. And there's something you said, like, you know, I think one of your patients said, I don't suffer from mental illness. I enjoy every minute of it. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think that's probably from someone that was, you know, in the manic phase of their bipolar disorder. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And many people hate uh, missing depression. Yeah, it's the depression part because they know it's coming around the corner and it's usually worse. But the manic is like, it's like a party all the time. And I have you, how you link like creativity and mental health issues. Like, you know, you talked about Charles Dixon, um, Lord Byron, Sir Isaac Newton. They had like severe mood swings. And, 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 I, and I think that's what sometimes we forget that just great minds that have, you know, produced a lot of what we consume today, you know, poetry, literature, science and all that. They were troubled as well. I bet if they lived in these days, a lot of them would have been over-medicated and we probably been, you know, knowing about them. So I thought that was really neat because, you know, I've always wondered about the link between creativity and, you know, mental health issues. Yes, and, and there are books about that, you know, um, the creativity and mental illness because what happened is that the mind of the person in a manic state is making so many connections it's creating so many ideas. It, 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 it has such a great imagination yeah. that then you see that expressed in the painting of somebody like Dali. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at those paintings and you see how, how somebody can come up with, you know, like the perpetuation of time. Yeah, of time, yeah. Like You see those many clocks everywhere. Yeah. You know, it creates an imagination that is not the one that a regular person. Even Van Gogh, even Van Gogh, you know, yes, I mean, Van cutting Gogh. his ear off and offering it to a prostitute, I mean, and then committing suicide just at the very peak of his career. Like, exactly. That's, that's and just, and that know. has to do with the impulsive behavior. Yep. You are full of energy, but also very impulsive. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's, that's the reality. And, and I, when you say that the child want, uh, with ADHD want to be quiet, yeah. I had in my memory the image of that boy that was like nine year old yeah. um, that was making a great effort. He wanted to be quiet. He was holding his leg with his hands. Oh, wow. You know, and he wanted to be, and he was a very nice boy. I remember he was even wearing a tie. Oh, wow. You know, he, he, he wanted to be a good decent, boy. <laughs> a very decent boy. Yeah. You know, the the boy with bipolar is not like that. He's jumping around. You know, he walk into my office and say, hey, dude, are you from Africa? <laughs> Can you imagine a nine-year-old talking to a grown-up man who can be his grandfather? 
like he's another child. Hey, dude. <laughs> hey, dude, are you from Africa? <laughs> that's a real story. That, that, that's not sure. that, that, that was told to me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, anyways, yeah. um, I want to run through these rapid questions, and I'll get your responses briefly from them. And these are from the audience. So they'd like to know, um, what role does diet or vaccine play in ADHD? Do you think? Zero. Zero. How about diet? Because I know a lot of psychiatric issues are inflammation. So like the use of um, police, 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 the poofers, the fatty acids, um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, and like on omega H3 and all that. Do you think that kind of help in reducing some of the symptoms associated with, say, for example, psychosis? Or? Well, I, I know that, uh, for example, the fish oil yeah. can help. Yeah. Because uh, it, it helps to build, build neuronal uh, cells, yeah. you know. But for example, uh, dark chocolate is not good for somebody with an elevated hyperactivity. Mood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but apart from that, the fallacy that diet has to do with is not different from the fallacy that vaccines, uh, uh, vaccine causes autism. autism. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's just. No, no. My matter. friend said they told them to avoid, you know, um, food like you know fish and um, things that had hormones in them, like shrimp, mercury, artificial sugar, and things like that. Anyways, thanks for clearing that. Um, another question is: um, so there's this huge thing on CBD oil right now, the cannabinoid um, oil, and how people have the toxin like the next best, almost like a snake oil. It can cure cancer. It can cure HIV. Uh, have you found any? Um, well, utility in using CBD oil for any of the symptoms that you talked about. I, I'm just hoping that they discover that it's good to grow hair. <laughs> because as you know, I'm bald. Are you bald? Yeah, that's why I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> because as you say, it is like a snake oil. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good for everything. And when that, when you heard the phrase, if, if it, it looked too good to be true. Yeah, so, it's, good to, it's too good to be true. <laughs> yeah. So... It's helpful in multiple situations, you know. It has a calming effect, uh, but it's not different from what the benzodiazepine or what lamotrigine can do. Mm. You know, um, it's over the counter, which is an advantage for people that cannot afford going to a doctor. Yeah. And they could try uh, for whatever the symptom is, uh, but for ADHD, I doubt, because if something is a sedative, it's not going to work for a condition like ADHD, like you say at the beginning, it is a problem with the norepinephrine, the uh, and dopamine, yeah. dopamine yeah. you know, and the CBD has nothing to do with that's dopamine true. and norepinephrine. So that's I true. think that that settled the case. Thank you. Um, another question I had from a parent is, how do parents cope through the fear of a child that is not properly integrated into society? And these parents, um, I mean, they listen to the teachers who probably are diagnosing these kids incorrectly and demanding that unless the kids are placed on the medications they want them to be on, they're not going to be admitted into schools. How do these parents cope with, the, you know, with this fear of you know, their loved child you know, being just a pariah to society potentially? Yeah. Well, there are one thing is that teachers cannot force parents to have children on medication of any kind. And any parent who is in that situation should call the Department of Children and file a complaint or call the school district. Mm. Um, 
in terms of the stigma of mental illness, uh, parents can explain children how uh, uh, many successful, brilliant people had had serious mental illness. Not something that I would say mild, mm-hmm. like ADHD. Yeah. You know, because it's something easy to control if it is well diagnosed and well treated. Well managed, yeah. Yeah, and just tell them it is not your fault, you know. Uh, you are no ADHD because you are doing something wrong or you are not strong enough, you know. It's like no diabetic will ever think that, oh, my God, I'm so weak that I have diabetes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sure. maybe using the comparison with somatic illness can help them to realize that it is not their fault that they are still perfect children uh, who can develop and have a normal life. You know? Thank you for that. Now, um, another question to know, what, um, are there programs for parents and caregivers to at least be equipped in, you know, seeing the signs better and also advocating for their children, especially when they come in contact with these systems that, you know, misstable them or misdiagnose them? How to get in contact, in contact with the system, you say? No, how, how, like, how can parents and caregivers equip themselves to be, you know, basically sharp as, uh, as serpents so that when they come in contact with these systems that either, you know, are forcing them to, they're mislabeling and misdiagnosing their children and, you know, their words, how can they be more equipped in knowing, apart from reading your book, by the way, which I think is very important, <laughs> what other things can we, you know, advice can we give to parents and caregivers who might be listening to this? Yeah. And how to equip themselves. Yes, I think that um, very kind of you to mention uh, the book because that was the intention uh, to give a tool to the parents to empower, yeah. to have the language to to say to the parent, uh, to the doctors, or to the psychologists or therapists. No, 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 no. My son can be this because of this and that. But if they don't want to uh, buy a book that just cost a dollar or three dollars. Uh, they can just do a search and at the end put academic papers, mm. you know, or scholarly papers. Mm. And because otherwise you get all the trash that comes <laughs> the internet. Yeah, there, there are a lot of writing things that don't make sense. Yeah. But if you put academic paper at the end of your search, uh, and then you go armed with information and she ask questions to the doctors. Don't be yeah. afraid. Say, yeah. well, but I noticed that you didn't ask me about my family. Yeah. I, I noticed that you just talked with me. You didn't talk to Johnny, you know. Um, I noticed that uh, you haven't asked me how he sleeps. Oh. And sleep is so important. Very, because that's the bedrock of everything. Because we have a reality, and it's that the insurance company and putting restraints on doctors, and they don't have enough time time to like ask these questions to ask a lot of questions. You know, mm-hmm. I have the privilege of being in a setting where I have the time because it's a non-profit organization. Oh wow! And we are not constrained by time. 
and I can have long conversation. Muchas and gracias. we have no idea of how many times I hear, Doctor, I have to tell you that this is the first time that somebody has spent more than 10 minutes with me. Isn't friend. that sad, though? It's very sad. <laughs> Isn't that sad? We're this building a, a model on an illness model rather than a, on, on a health model, like, you know, getting better and finding out the right questions. And that makes sense because you don't get to ask the right questions about the family history and the patterns and, you know, if the child was adopted or if the parents, you know, are not the real parents because they don't even have time to ask. They don't have the time. Uh, and this is a very rich country. And, and, and it's sad that there is no investment in the future. The children. The future are those children. Yeah, very true. And, very true. And, yeah. and they are trying to send people to Mars <laughs> and with the tens of the money invested in finding out uh, how the uh, stones are in Mars, we could have good health care for children That's in so this true. country, in this planet. Where That's we so, are. so true. That's so true. Um, Another question is, children in third world countries who are facing a lot more stress, um, are there any organizations that can help? Because, I mean, I know ADHD is not something that is just contained in developed countries, but I think because of the technology and the access, it's probably a lot overdiagnosed here. But I can see a problem of under-diagnosis and under-treatment um, in patients, that, in people that might probably live in, in third world countries. Um, are there organizations that can be of help? Would you know of any of this? Uh, yes, uh, there are um, organizations um, in every country similar to NAMI here. The National Institute of Mental Health, I think, mental exactly. illness. Exactly, yeah. yes, for the advance of mental health. Uh, in yeah. most of the countries that I'm aware, Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, uh, uh, Colombia, uh, Ecuador, Argentina, with Dr. Mata. <laughs> Hola. Hey, Dr. Adedipe. <laughs> Hola, señor. ¿Cómo está, señor? Ah, bien, bien. ¿Usted? Muy bien, muy bien. He paid you a compliment. He said your husband is a, who's a very good doctor, by the way. I'm like, oh. Oh, muchas gracias. <laughs> a la orden. <laughs> He's a real good doctor. And, and, a, and a compassionate doctor. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. All right. Okay. Enjoy. Talking about NAMI, right? In the U.S.? Okay. Yes. Uh, so there are organizations, uh, different names in each country, but the other uh, part is a sad news. The epidemic of overdiagnosis of ADHD has reached those countries too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because of the internet. NGO, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's yeah, double. Uh, H sword. The internet is a blessing, but I'm also it yeah. can be weaponized to do bad things. I guess regardless of where parents are listening to this from, wherever they might be based, I mean, you can also take the time to learn more about these conditions by, you know, reading Dr. Mutter's book or even going online and make sure you use the search key, you know, like academic papers, like make sure things you're reading are evidence-based and that way exactly. you are in the know. Yeah. Um, I think your final one would be for People for kids with like siblings, and one listener in particular asked about it. Like, so one of a child is diagnosed with something ADHD. I don't know if they're correctly diagnosed, or but there's a lack of connection with the other sibling. How do you navigate that? Well, 
It is possible that one child has ADHD and the other child has something else. It is possible. But when a child has a, uh, in a family, let's say there are three children and two of them have a mood disorder or an anxiety disorder or OCD and the third one is diagnosed ADHD, mm-hmm. I will bet any money that that one with ADHD does not have it. Mm, mathematically, okay, mathematically it's possible. <laughs> and it happens, very rarely, but it happens. But usually what runs in family is what there is. You mm. know, um, I remember I in the first book, book that I published, I mentioned a family that I treated uh, years ago. I think it was 2002. Um, both parents with bipolar, and they have six children. Oh, wow. All of them with bipolar. Wow. Talk all about the jackpot. All of them, the six of them. Wow. And w- the youngest one was given uh, Ritalin by uh, somebody, and the mother described him as, soon after he took the first pill, as running like a chicken without the head. <sighs> Uh, I, I, as the result of me publishing that uh, um, story yeah. uh, in Psychiatry Times, um, a group in Mount Sinai uh, contacted me mm-hmm. because they wanted to reach that family. Okay. They were conducted genetic studies and they were flown to New York. Okay, the six kids? Yeah. The kids and the and the parents, and the parents mm-hmm. yeah, because for years uh, scientists has been fa- trying to find that genetic link marker for bipolar. Did they find it? Were they able to sequence yeah. it? The, the problem is that they, like in schizophrenia, they had found many. <sighs> it's not like in Huntington disease where they can look at one particular gene. You know, you have one. <laughs> <laughs> in bipolar, they have found so many. That you how complex the mind can be, and you don't know which one of them is, you know, exactly, eliciting exactly. all those things. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. <sighs> I really liked your book, and um, my only fear is that those that are not like they're not they don't have a lot of health literacy, a lot of the things might be over their head. But I think it was written in such a way that there's always something for somebody, and you could look through the pictures, you could see some of the personal notes he added. And so I'm, I just wanted to put it out there. Where can people find your book? I know it's on Amazon, but I want to just, you know, talk a little bit about it. Yes, it's, it's basically Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't remember uh, the, if somebody don't remember the title of the book, just need to put my name. Yeah, ADHD, M-O-T-A, Mota. <laughs> That's yeah, what I the first time. <laughs> uh, yes, um, um, it will come up. Um, and it's, as I say, it's, uh, this one um, was priced at $3. The previous one was just $1. And because I'm not trying to make any profit from this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just to... I, I didn't want it to put it free because there is this human tendency That's so true. To, to believe that if it is free, probably... Yeah, it's not good, good. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I let Amazon keep some... Uh, money, but I, I'm not interested in making money out of this. Uh, 
I just want to help people to um, find weapons to talk with that stubborn teacher that say that uh, Johnny has ADHD. And that's so true. And I like that you, could, you include a lot of your, in your bibliography, the references, and so that people can maybe go ahead and even read those articles that you talked about so they oh, can yeah. also inform themselves. Yes. And if you come across the book, there's a little boy there in front, you know, putting his arms together and pouting with glasses on. That's the right book. And it's ADHD, a real disease, but a false epidemic. Um, right now it's actually um, $3 on, on Kindle and you can read that on your, on your whatever. And um, I think for me personally, I just want to, I'm curious to know about adults that were never diagnosed and I haven't, I mean, I do see it. I see a therapist every now and then because I get through this funky mood. And I know your book said um, depression and anxiety are not, you know, diagnosis and symptoms. And so for adults that have never been diagnosed with maybe a mood disorder or ADHD, and they still have those, you know, mood fluctuations coming up, what do you, I mean, do you suggest them going to see a like a psychiatrist and getting confirmation for whatever might be going on? Oh, and what do you have to say about that? And I'm curious, and I'm personally asking for myself. I I will say, talk to a very good doctor that I know, Dr. Adedipi. <laughs> but you know, I'm married to him, so that's a conflict of interest. <laughs> <laughs> he, I was his preceptor, uh, and I think he learned a lot. And, and he knows that, for example, Lamictal, he knows okay. how to use it. Mm-hmm. for this type of mild mood changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he knows. Um, he's a very well-qualified, uh, <laughs> not a psychiatrist, but he had a very good exposure to psychiatry. Yeah. Um, not just uh, during the time that he was uh, rotating through my unit, yeah. But also when he was in the medical floor and put consultation, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are doctors who put a consultation, don't read it, don't talk to the psychiatrist. Uh, he is one of those that go and discuss the case. Mm-hmm. So he probably has more knowledge about psychiatry than the average uh, family that's good to hear. We're not using, but I, ju- I just can't afford him right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. You're, you're not half kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much, Dr. Mona. I, I learned a lot from you. I've learned um, a lot about not just ADHD, but also some like the evil trial that we talked about, OCM, conduct disorder, and then opposition defiant disorder. And I like that um, a lot of the listeners that might either be parents or you know caregivers or even affiliated with somebody that may have any of these um, mental health issues that we talked about. At least you can be able to know that it's worth, you know, asking more questions and reading more and knowing more. So that way you too can be equipped. So that when a faulty, excuse me, diagnosis is thrown at you, you can, you know, say something back. And um, well, I'm going to close with something you said in your in your book that I, I liked and I took, a, I captured it. And you said a milestone of real progress will be reached when it is no longer accepted by the American public that school personnel diagnose children when children are not excluded from school because they aren't taking the medications the school desires, when child psychiatrists, despite managed care demands, do invest the time and attention for rigorous differential diagnosis, when serious conditions like mood disorders aren't labeled as complicated ADHD, 
and treated with increasing doses of Ritalin or other amphetamines, sometimes in dangerous combinations with other drugs. When the incidence of ADHD in the USA parallels that in other developed countries, when childhood mood disorders are accepted as valid clinical entities to be treated along with other diagnoses, showing early onset of un- age of onset and persistent symptoms across the lifespan. Basically, that's your hope someday. And yes. I think it's a beautiful way to just capture the complexity of the healthcare system and also of these disorders that are you know, easily mislabeled and misdiagnosed. So I want to say keep up the good works and thank you so much for what you do and all that you do. And I'm, I'm sure your, your patients are so blessed to have you. Thank you very much. That's very nice of you. And I, I'm grateful that you invited me to your podcast. Um, I hope that I will help some people. And one last word, avoid caffeine. If you, I'm not talking about you. I just think I'm like. <laughs> to the audience. Okay. If you have, if you have mild mood swing, uh, coffee is not a good idea. Oh, really? Caffeine. Caffeine is not a good idea. Well, let's speed, speed out the mind, you know. Oh, that's true. Maybe I think that was really for me too, because you know, I think my mood goes up and down. <laughs> but we love coffee, like that's how we get through the day. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Uh we can't Thank have coffee, we can't much. have cocaine, we can't have anything anymore. Wow, such joy. It was <laughs> <laughs> everyone you've all heard from Dr. Mota. Um, go check out his book. It's a very lovely read. It's long, but it's very informative. And you can look at it by chapters. And if you have any questions, how can they reach you, Dr. Mota, for those that might be interested in, you know, maybe co- having a consultation with you? Yes, um, they can um, contact me. Um, the, I have a website okay. um, where they can leave a message. And okay. it's very simple, psychiatricanswers.com. All right. I'm going to add that to the show notes so that everybody can see that. And you're based in Florida, right? Correct, yes. Okay, all right. And are you taking new patients? Well, I, mean, I don't yes. know if I'm supposed to. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> yes. No, I, I, it's something that I want to offer to uh, any of your audience, everybody in your audience, is if somebody has a question, hmm. I don't mind answering, you know? Um, doesn't, don't have to give me a name or age or location. Hmm. Can you just send me a question? Mm-hmm. And I will do my best to answer and to to give a suggestion. I, I remember when I published my first book, a person came from Ohio to see me in Florida. Wow. And I told the lady um, uh, who brought her son, oh, my God, why do you spend this money? If you had called me, I should have told you, just stop giving the concerta. And that's the solution. Well, that's the... Um... Stimulants, the um, which is the same as Ritalin. Ritalin, yeah, just a different. Yeah, it, it was a child uh, taking a mood stabilizer plus. Oh uh, no! Concerta. And no. I, I, stay, I could have solved that on the phone. Oh wow! Oh wow! All right, I hope to bring you back on the show when I have maybe other questions from my audience or okay. anything I would like to like explore with you. But thank I really, you. really enjoyed my time with you today, and thank you so much, sir. Thank you. It's a All pleasure. Right. Have Good a long night. weekend, yeah. All right, guys, um, check out the show on www.mosible.com. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast on. This has been the show with Dr. Mata, and um, thank you all for listening today. I remain your host, Mosible, and catch you guys on another episode of The Master Book. Okay.
like the end, but you gotta keep pushing, gotta keep pushing all on, just like the beat in this song, just keep on singing, keep on singing along. You are a fighter, you can take on anything that the world could offer, you are stronger than you Disbelief, you are a fighter, keep on fighting. 